Hi, and welcome to the Beloved Bride Podcast. I'm Misty House, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. This is a podcast for helping women discover their royal identity in Christ and grow in relationship and intimacy with our bridegroom, King Jesus. Today's message is titled, Teeter-Totter Technique, Tips for a Thriving Marriage. And I'm really excited about this this, uh, message. I want to start out by reading the Golden Rule. It says in Matthew 7, 12, this is the Passion Translation. In everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. For that is the essence of all teachings of the law and the prophets. The message version says it this way. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. I love that. And I love that God gave me this message, and it's based around this metaphor of a teeter-totter. So if you are a person who desires a healthy, godly, stable, working marriage, thriving marriage, or relationship, then this message is going to bless you. So think of a teeter-totter and how it takes proper structure and two people to work. Well, so it is with marriage. And I'm going to share these three points with you. And each point I'll break down with three kingdom keys. And I just want to start out by saying that I have been married. My husband, Chris, and I have been married for 18 wonderful years. I'd love to share my entire story with you. I'm going to share a little bit of my past later on. But I just wanted to give you a little heads up at first. Um, that my husband and I have been married for 18 years and God miraculously brought him into my life. And there is no way I would be who I am without my helpmate. He is a blessing to me. And that's what marriage is about, helping each other grow and become who God wants you to be. And that's why our spouse is so important to the, the, the marriage and how we work on behalf of each other and help each other become the best version that that God desires us to be. So let's jump into the message. Point number one, be seated in grace. So I'm going to share three kingdom keys on how we are to be seated in grace. Number one, sit carefully, show empathy. So think of this teeter-totter. Step up to the plate and be seated carefully. Have and demonstrate empathy for one another. Follow the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. Put yourself in their seat. Genuinely care about the person on the other end. Care about how your spouse sees you and how they feel. Jimmy Evans, who I love, who is the CEO of Marriage Today and Exo Marriage, says, empathy has the power to resurrect a dead marriage. So choose to sit in empathy and remain seated there by listening and caring. Care about who God says your spouse is and wants them to become. Key two, sit properly, sit humbly. So position yourself properly. Each person must be willing to humble themselves and sit low at times as the other is raised up and lifted high. At the same time, no person should be left hanging with their feet dangling high while the other is left feeling low. 
marriage should be a give and take. If you're like me, my childhood experience of the teeter-totter at recess was I was always the skinny, scrawny one, and most of the time I'm the one up in the air with my feet hanging because the other person outweighed me, and that just leaves you vulnerable, and marriage should be this give and take. So point number three, key three, sit faithfully, surrender control. A stable marriage relies on God to operate at the center, the core, the heart of the marriage. A teeter-totter only works if it's centered on a fulcrum. The fulcrum is the point on which a lever rests or is supported and on which it pivots, or is a thing that plays a central or essential role in an activity, event, or situation. Well, God should be the fulcrum of your marriage, the center at which you and your spouse pivot. God is the boss, the head, and the king. We as Christians should submit to his lordship. Don't seek to rule over your spouse, govern on your own, or seize control over decisions or circumstances without seeking his wise counsel. Your home is his castle. So faithfully surrender, surrender all authority to him to reign in your home and marriage. All right, point number two, be positioned to move. So key number one, tip the scale. Sometimes it is a battle to level things out in marriage and find proper balance in the relationship and begin flowing in a healthy manner. Sometimes in order to kickstart the relationship when things seem stuck or dead in place, a sacrifice must be made. One must faithfully and obediently be willing to put their feet down and push off in an upright position. Take a stand. Stand on the word and truth of God. This movement activates faith, putting these faith muscles to use. Remember, faith without works is dead and knowledge without application is void. It's useless. We must put faith into action. Imagine a ball resting at the low end of the teeter-totter when it is not moving. It's stuck. So to send the ball rolling backwards and make it travel uphill, you must move against the grain, against the current, against your feelings. It may feel unjust, unfair, or opposite of what you want to do, but trust God to tip the scale and level things out fairly. Remember, you reap what you sow, but sow first. Give what you intend and expect to reap or to receive, but look to him. Look to God for the harvest, not your spouse. Watch as what was once dead and stuck in place begin to spring forth a flow of movement and new life. Key two, maintain balance. For a marriage to maintain a healthy flow, it must maintain a proper rhythm. It needs balance. Just like a teeter-totter, it takes two people to work, as we've said before. Each must balance their weight and each must be willing to participate or it's one-sided. What happens when the balance is off, when two people are unequally yoked? It throws off the rhythm in the relationship. For example, if one is a believer and the other not, they have no business sharing a teeter-totter in the first place. It is an unequal setup from the beginning. I'm going to share my story on that in, a, in just a bit. But God actually forbids such alliances. But if two have jumped on unknowingly, what next? Well, be their helpmate. Help train them up. Help them grow spiritually. 
or if the person weighs more than the other, for example. So if when one person is more spiritually mature and older, the word weighs heavier on them, as does the burden to try to get that other person in that equal, equal position. So key three, distribute the weight. The ball represents the weight of God's word. The ball rolling represents a balance of duties and the work of the Holy Spirit moving about in the center of the relationship. It should roll back and forth in a constant state of motion as each individual takes turns giving and receiving in accordance with God's goodwill. It must not stop and rest on one side. Keep the ball rolling. Keep moving in and with the Spirit. Be the first to move. Don't allow pride or unforgiveness to hold you back. Extend and release grace and mercy to flow. Don't be that stubborn person that's like, well, I'm not going to move until they do. No, be the first one to make that move. And when the weight feels heavy on your end and you aren't seeing any movement, cry out for help. But don't stop doing your part because they fail to do theirs. Instead, ask God to intervene and pray for God to help motivate and kickstart the other person into gear to get the ball rolling again on the other end. Send the ball rolling in their direction. The word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit through your prayers over them. Trust God to do the heavy lifting and move the other person into position with Christ and into a place of harmony and peace in your marriage. Allow him time to work things out, but don't allow for abuse in the meantime. Point number three, be prepared for a shift. Key number one, believe that positive change is coming. Be expectant for God to move in your life as you move in faith and obedience. Sow seeds of trust. Continue to fight the good fight. Don't quit. Don't jump off prematurely. Wait for those seeds to bloom. Believe God is working under the surface of what you can see deep in the heart of your spouse and in your marriage. Key two, thank God in advance. Trust that God is working on your behalf. Speak life over the seeds you plant. Thank him for his intervention and thank him for the harvest. Key three, praise him for victory. Worship and celebrate his mighty work in your hearts and for the victory and new fruit in your marriage. Now, I want to take just a little bit to read from my book, Emergence, How to Experience Beauty and New Life in Dead and Dark Places. This is my personal story of all the miraculous work God has done in my life and in my marriage. Um, my first marriage was not positioned properly. It wasn't seated in grace, positioned to move, or prepared for a shift. Therefore, it failed to receive the victory. We battled alone on our own. And this was over 20 years ago, what I'm about to share with you. But this comes uh, from chapter five titled On Our Own. And I want to share this because I want you to help learn from my mistakes and my failures. And, but also know that just on the other side is victory. Our past and our mistakes don't disqualify us from God's best. So keep that in mind, even though I'm reading from this place of, of defeat. I had heard of these spiritual truths. Yet, it took me a long time to apply these truths and begin to fully receive this kind of love and to also give it away. As I have said before, knowledge without application is useless. As newlyweds and raising a newborn, my husband and I had a lot to learn. We were young and had no clue as to what we were doing. 
We did our best on our own, but we were in serious need of assistance. This was a lot for two very young adults to take on by themselves. The stress of a newborn, financial instability, and two people in need of healing and identity, it all took its toll. So much pain and disappointment had built up inside of me. I overcompensated from this pain by trying to grow up extremely fast and prove myself. I was so ashamed of being a teenage pregnancy statistic. I was still 19 when I had my daughter. This bothered me a great deal. I figured that I was the talk of my small town and right at the top of the headlines reading, Homecoming Queen Gets Pregnant Right Out of High School. I felt like such a failure that all my potential of doing and achieving something magnificent had gone down the drain. Look who I had become instead, a college dropout and screw-up. Needless to say, my self-esteem took a nosedive. My assurance only got worse once my husband and I started having marital trouble. I believe we both entered into this marriage with problems and baggage. Other, our issues didn't go away and were causing a lot of damage physically, mentally, and emotionally. I didn't know how to properly respond to this damage. Instead, I grew increasingly angry, bitter, and resentful toward my spouse because of the promises that were broken. Secrecy, lies, addictions, and all my greatest fears had entered into our union. As my husband began to bail on his promise, I began to bail on mine. As he began to welcome in worldly ungodliness without seeing it as a problem, I began to welcome in the idea of escape. I felt rejected, replaced, ignored, and of no value to him. I didn't feel loved or secure. The thought of living this way until death did us part was intolerable. Step by step, I began to slowly withdraw and walk away in search of love and happiness. We separated many times in the hope that it would solve our problems. This only masked the pain. Separation was not a real solution for us. It was only a temporary bandage to conceal and hide the wound. The scars were still left underneath, and each time we came back together, our problems were exposed and right there waiting on us. This festering sore kept going from bad to worse. We so desperately needed godly counsel and support, spiritual ointment, to help us properly work through these issues and heal. Instead, we turned to friends and family. Not that most weren't spiritual sources that meant well and provided some wisdom. However, even spirit-filled friends and family members can be pretty biased, tend to take sides, and also react emotionally and defensively rather than productively. Although we occasionally attended church, we had not found a church to call our home or become members of the body. We needed a strong church home to go to regularly, as well as individual time spent with God in the Word in order to get fed spiritually. We needed that nourishment that would help us to grow upright and mature as individuals and as a couple. We needed a new perspective, one based on truth and grace, not blame. I went into our marriage with the wrong perspective. I thought, I'll give it two years and see what happens. Without realizing it, I had already set us up for failure by making this inner vow. I had not entered this covenant relationship fully committed before God. I walked in with the hopes to succeed, yet with a backup plan to walk out if it didn't. I had picked up this trait throughout, through witnessing my parents' divorce. Even though I hated the idea of divorce, I had seen it as a possibility. Therefore, my commitment to this marriage was conditional upon him keeping his promise to change. 
I was in charge of my life, not God. I was the player, coach, and referee all at the same time. My insistence on being in control automatically limited the possibility of what God was capable of achieving. What was I thinking? I was thinking like a child. I was a child, a spiritual toddler with the egocentric behavior of a three-year-old. It's all about me. Likewise, my husband went into this marriage promising that he would change and become the husband I needed him to be. This vow set us up for failure as well and invited unrealistic expectations to be upheld, especially without the work and help of the Holy Spirit in his life. Within just a few short months of marriage, that promise began to unravel. He wasn't fully committed to upholding his commitment made to me and refused to seek outside help. We both had given it a whirl for a while. I believe Tom, which is the name I gave him, and I both made our share of mistakes and failures. I shouldn't have expected him to become someone he was not at the time and couldn't or wouldn't try to become later on. You shouldn't marry someone in the hopes that they will change into a different or new person. It's an unrealistic expectation, even if they promise. In my opinion, he shouldn't have made promises he didn't fully intend to keep, especially those that were contingent upon marriage in the first place. Clearly, we were both guilty of breaking commitments and promises. We both failed miserably at meeting the other's needs. I don't feel we were thinking of us as one couple joined by God. We were still thinking of ourselves as separate individuals. Neither of us had yet to grow and mature spiritually. As a result, we responded immaturely and selfishly. I was secure, yet still young in my faith, and he was still in search of his. This unbalanced setup made it near impossible for us to accomplish the will and purposes of God in our lives as individuals and as a couple. One of us had to be willing to abandon his position for the other, especially since we were undoubtedly unequally yoked from the beginning. So he continued to pull in one direction and I in the other, creating instability, conflict, confusion, and war among us. True intimacy and harmony were non-existent within our marriage because we were not spiritually united. Consequently, we were continually at odds with one another, trying to convert the other because we were opposites in our beliefs, morals, and mission. God commands and warns believers to not enter into such alliances for our own protection as well as that of that of our children's and from the temptation of being led astray. I'm going to read part of the word here. The temple of the living God. Don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. For what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? Who could mingle light with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God. Just as God has said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. For this reason, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch nothing that is unclean and I will embrace you. I will be a true father to you and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord Yahweh Almighty. This is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, the Passion Translation. 
We are to live holy lives. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the Passion Translation says, Beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. We married for the wrong reasons. Our greatest problem was never being equally was never being equally yoked. We chose to get married nonetheless. So here we were forced to deal with this problem. Regrettably, we didn't deal with it well. Fully expecting a spouse or anyone for that matter to meet all our deepest needs is a setup for failure in any marriage. Only God can meet our deepest needs. Sadly, we never fully invited or expected him to do so. Thus, it was our greatest failure. Yes, deep down, I trusted we each wanted the relationship to work. I don't believe either of us was surrounded with the type of influence that spoke life over our marriage. We for sure didn't speak life over one another. We retaliated, saying hateful and hurtful things. We each tossed the blame back and forth, refusing to take ownership for our mistakes and failures, just as Adam and Eve did when confronted with their sin in the garden. In fear of our own nakedness, we shamefully turned on one another, because out of our own acts of rebellion, we had shamefully turned on God. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Genesis 3.12 Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Genesis 3.13 Our marriage was falling apart. The hope of happiness was washing away as the storms came and beat against our house. Foolishly, we had built it on the sand. The Bible tells us, that woman was created because it was not good for man to be alone. So God created a helper for him. Genesis 2, 20 through 25. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. They shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Man and wife are meant to be one flesh. Man is to leave his father and mother, and woman is to be his helper. In marriage, the two are meant to become one, to help one another and be united as a couple. They should be naked in front of one another and unashamed. We were none of these things. First, we weren't behaving as one. We were divided in so many ways. He would run to his parents and I to mine like little tattletales rather than running to our heavenly father. We had not left our parents and didn't cleave to one another. Instead, we were treating one another like enemies rather than joining forces and battling against the real enemy, Satan, who was seeking to destroy our marriage and our family. We were not on one team, fighting for one another with the one common goal, the victory of our marriage. 
No, we were fighting against one another, each set on winning the argument at hand. Major marriage foul. Secondly, we were not behaving like suitable helpers. We were not helping each other heal from our insecurities and weaknesses. Rather, we were pointing out the other's imperfections while refusing to forgive, extend grace, and pray for one another in patience, inviting and allowing the Holy Spirit to work at repairing two very broken vessels. Third, we were not fully naked in front of the other or naked before God. God created us to be naked and unashamed before Him and our spouse. We were not exposing ourselves with honest and open communication. We did not lay out all of our problems openly and plainly, asking God to shine His light on them. Instead, we remained hidden in the dark before one another in our shame, guilt, and secrecy. We foolishly crossed the boundary lines of our covenant lot. We each ventured out secretly in our own way, physically, mentally, or emotionally, bringing in dangerous wolves from outside the fence, robbing ourselves of God's blessings, and making our lot an unholy and unsafe place. We both disobediently looked back and held on to our past rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus as he led the way forward. We did not protect our garden. We were breaking all of the rules and no time out on separate benches could fix it. We needed God's intervention. We needed a spiritual coach. We had tried to win on our own and we were losing badly. That's where I'm going to stop reading from, from my book, Emergence. But maybe this is your story. Like me in that moment of my youth, you may feel defeated and at a loss in your marriage. But I want to tell you today that there is hope. God can restore, redeem, rebuild, renew, and resurrect your dead marriage. If you will surrender to his authority and put him in the center, make him that fulcrum point and let everything rest upon him. If you're divorced, Know that God is a God of second chances. My first marriage ended in failure, but that wasn't the end of my story. It was just the beginning. When I fell at the feet of Jesus and cried out at his throne of grace, he answered me in love and gave me a beautiful gift, the godly man I prayed for. We have been happily married for these 18 years and have a beautiful family. I would love for you to hear the rest of my redemption and resurrection story and learn how you can experience beauty and new life in your story through my book, Emergence. Beloved, I want you to win in your marriage. I want you to see victory, to do what you must not only hear his truth, you must be willing to apply them. I want to encourage you to come to the mercy seat The place of atonement for our sins, failures, and all troubles sits with Jesus, the Holy of Holies. Leviticus 16.2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother that he must not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, the Holy of Holies, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Well, in the Old Covenant, the high priest was permitted to enter the most holy place only once a year. The Day of Atonement was the most sacred of all the festivals, 
and the prescribed purpose of this inclusive sacrifice was to atone for the sins of both the nation and the individual believer, and in this way reconcile God's chosen people to himself. Only by carefully following all of God's instructions could the high priest enter God's presence and live. Well, I have some good news. In the new covenant, the veil separating us from God's presence has been torn. Jesus has, a, has made atonement for us all. There was a time when his people could not come near him, but we have entered into a new covenant of marriage with our bridegroom, King Jesus, if you are a believer. We can come boldly before his throne of grace, naked and unashamed, and cry out for mercy and help. And his word promises he will meet us there. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. And at once the veil of the holy holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split apart. God tearing the veil of the holy of holies is significant in that it symbolizes that God's presence was now open to all people and not just the high priest. So people like you and me, we can come before Jesus and feel no shame in crying out for help and mercy. Sit naked before the Son of Man and let him shine light on your marriage and your troubles. Invite Jesus to be seated in the middle of your earthly marriage covenant and watch as he moves mightily on your behalf. He is the intercessor and the mediator. He will run interference if we will not interfere. He is the coach, the boss, the head, and the king. So allow him to run interference. Offer him his seat and place in your marriage. He was in the beginning and still is always meant to be in the middle. So I want you to ask yourself some questions. What is Holy Spirit speaking to you through this message? Are you seated in grace or are you seated in judgment? Are you positioned to move or are you sitting stubbornly on that teeter-totter, refusing to be the first one to move? Are you prepared for a shift? Are you believing in God's miracles or have you settled for defeat? What areas do you need help in? Ask Holy Spirit to meet you there. So I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that each person listening to this message would receive an outpouring and filling of your love and grace so that we will be positioned and prepared to take a stand and pour it out on our spouse and others, and that we may be prepared and positioned to shift and receive victory and blessing in every area of our homes and our marriage. Holy Spirit, come and move among us. Kickstart us into play. Move us, our husbands and our household, in upright accordance with your good and perfect will. Help us to apply your truth and word in our lives. We trust you and praise you for the work of your hands and for the harvest of blessings and victory to come. And I want to also share this prayer is at the end of that chapter that I read from. Lord, Forgive me for doing things on my own. I surrender to you and invite your presence to come. Open my spiritual eyes to recognize the enemy's attacks and tactics to derail me and my loved ones off course. Help me to see where he schemes to cause deception, division, distraction, and deviation. Set my feet on the path of life 
light, righteousness, holiness, and truth. Open my ears and give me supernatural wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and discernment to hear your voice. Open my mouth to speak life and truth. Give me a new heavenly perspective that shifts possibilities. I declare life over the dry bones of my life, marriage, parenting, relationships, and finances, and welcome a new breath of your spirit to enter into my circumstances and resurrect the dead places. Thank you for your power to restore and revive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I pray this message was a blessing to you. Please rate and share this podcast with someone you know and help spread the good news of the gospel around the world. Thank you for joining me today. Remember that as a daughter of the King, you are the beloved bride of Christ and your bridegroom is crazy in love with you. For more Christian encouragement, check out my books by visiting my website, mistyhouseauthor.com. God bless. 